From paying off some holiday expenses, to those home renovations, to even banking for the future, count on Columbia to help kickstart your 2018 financial goals with our low-rate, no-fee home refinance program. Take advantage of this amazing opportunity and pay no fees, making now the best time to refinance your home. So help fulfill all your short and long-term financial resolutions at your local branch or ColumbiaBankOnline.com. The low-rate, no-fee home refinance program. Apply today. Equal housing lender and member FDIC. New Jersey Properties Only. Season 42 is in the can. We're going to talk about Dwayne Johnson. We're going to talk about the best of the season. We're going to talk about trends. And we're going to talk about uh, the leaving of Vanessa Bayer. Uh, for those, probably by the time you're hearing this, you know Shashir Zameda has also decided to leave. Uh, but before we get started, I just wanted to take a moment to talk about my, my blood brother, my soul sister, Bobby Moynihan, for one more time. Anyone who's listened to this podcast knew that uh, from the very first episode we did five years ago I declared my my love for Bobby and uh, and as you guys have heard through the years uh, Bobby makes me laugh in a way that that no one else on the cast does and it's interesting as this was his last show this weekend uh, you know I look back at the year end and I'm looking at all of my favorite sketches and Bobby is actually in very few of them he he really was he did not have any of the big characters outside of weekend update he didn't have any big sort of cultural moments or any characters that sort of, uh, you know, defined the show. And yet, uh, and yet him leaving sort of is, is a huge sort of loss for me. I'm happy that he's leaving to go on to do a CBS sitcom. Uh, and I was trying to sort of put my finger on why. And I think it's because, and, and, and maybe everyone has a different cast member for them. It's because, uh, and I'm going to give myself the hugest compliment I don't deserve. I just see myself in Bobby. Bobby is the first cast member, even though he's younger than me, other cast members through the years have been closer to my actual age. I just connected with Bobby as like I would watch Bobby on stage and feel like that's the idealized version if I could do what those people can do and and I can't do what they can do. But to me, there was just something about Bobby that tapped into my own dreams of being in Studio 8H and putting on a comedy show for America every Saturday night. And uh, I felt his humility. I felt his always appreciating what he was doing. Uh, I loved that he could could just walk on and with a raised eyebrow just kill it he could save scenes he could play straight the straight person he played indignant in such a real way so many sketches that I watched I would just see him just have a look of of what's going on that just slayed me and so in, in a weird way I think part of why I'm so lamenting Bobby leaving is because I feel like a part of myself is leaving that uh, you know my guy that was my guy that was that was the proxy for me not that I could ever do what Bobby actually did, but that that's my guy. So it's at a loss that uh, this will be the last episode we get to uh, talk about Bobby in sketches, and there's a lot of Bobby to talk about. But uh, boy, it's a tough one. I miss you, Bobby, and uh, it'll be very interesting going into season 43. But the nice thing about Saturday Night Live is Saturday Night Live is not about a person. It's not about a time. It's not about a place. It's an institution. Before there was Bobby, there were others, and I know that after there is Bobby, there will be more. So uh, it'll be interesting to go into 43. Uh, not feeling like the show is never going to be as good as it was, but looking with excitement as who's going to be my next Bobby. And I don't know who your Bobby is, but I hope you have a Bobby. I hope that there's 
someone that you identify with and you have that wish fulfillment for because again it's more than a show for me it's it's part of my life and i think it's part of your life if you're listening to this and with that let's wrap up season 42 in an up note as this is let's talk about the best of tonight the best of the year the best of bobby the best of vanessa best of vanessa and sashir and let's kick off this snl podcast i am your host rich tackenberg and joining me as always the wonderful the vivacious mr mike bloom hello mike so i'm taking this from your opening monologue rich that you and bobby moynihan were twins bred to be the perfect child in some lab in washington dc and you got torn asunder and now you're finally coming back together I think, yes, I think I am the Danny DeVito in that. So, uh, yeah, it's that's how bad it is that I'm the Danny DeVito in that pairing, in that twin pairing. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, th- yeah, th- this is going to be a fun one. I mean, it's going to be sort of a bittersweet one as well. I mean, you alluded to Bobby Moynihan's one of the big departures, but, you know, Vanessa Bayer, Sashir Zameda, I'm sure we're going to talk at the end as well about the possibility of some other people sticking around as well. This might be one of those years where it turns out to just be a high turnover rate for one reason or another with a bunch of people leaving and a bunch of people subsequently coming in but we'll talk about the finale but I feel like as well we'll definitely save some season 42 in review and season 43 talk near the end but we can also use this finale to sort of take a look back to the season through the lens of these sketches and also prognosticate where we move on from there because this episode was fun I would say this episode had a very celebratory tone to it in that I, 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 going back to these rankings that I always do, uh, Dwayne Johnson came in, I believe, at number nine, I want to say. Uh, yeah, number nine, right below Jimmy Fallon, right above Chris Pine, which we talked about last podcast. Because I thought this episode started off very, very strongly, and then it falls into a couple of areas that uh, I alluded to last week that I hope they wouldn't go to, but alas, they did. Which is totally fine, totally the show's prerogative. It did have a, a couple of other peaks throughout the rest of the night, but I wouldn't say it was a, the show's most rollicking night, especially considering the strength of the season leading up to it, but it really felt like everyone was there to just bask in the glow that was season 42 and of these departures, so it really was a, a joyous occasion, no matter what level of humor may be associated with that joy. Do you agree? I totally agree. I think that I considered this episode more of a victory lap for the show than anything else. Uh, and I and I think they deserved it. I think there was a lot. I think they really embraced the silly uh, last night. Uh, and then sometimes I'm totally with them on the silly. And I will admit, sometimes I'm not. And that's okay. We'll we'll talk about that. But I, I agree with you. And I think as we as we talk this through, we're, we're going to see a lot of that in this episode. One thing I will say that was interesting coming to, into this episode is that Having just done uh, sort of a, a review of the season, one of the things that I had noted to myself, again, you know, who cares? But one of the things that I had noted to myself was the fact that in looking at cold opens in general, I noted to myself, I said, boy, you know, the Hillary Clinton singing Hallelujah as a cold open for me was such a notable miss. It was really such a mm-hmm. what I felt was sort of a tone deaf miss 
uh, uh, for SNL. So coming into last night and seeing a man's hands on a piano playing Hallelujah, it certainly got my attention like what are they doing? Uh, and then to see that it's now Donald Trump uh, playing, uh, uh, you know, Hallelujah with his uh, cast of characters coming on to sing with him, I thought was such a fun way to start the show. It, this this was incredible from my perspective. I might be hyperbolic in saying that, but I totally agree with you. I, I don't want to rehash the conversation about the Hillary Clinton post-election cold open because I know that uh, that that brought about a, a bunch of interesting comments in uh, the section of PostShowRecaps.com, and I'm, I'm always grateful for our listeners, but I don't want to necessarily open up that can of worms again. But I thought this was a really fun thing because, in a way, it was SNL kind of poking fun at itself. Yes. It was saying, you know, like, hey, remember when we did that sort of polarizing bit? And I would agree that I think, like it or hate it, it definitely was the most notable cold open of the season. And then to lampoon it, almost laughing back at yourself from like six months ago, I thought was so much fun. I loved the setup of it. I loved that the lyrics, the lyrics that they used didn't change whatsoever, but they take on such a different connotation with the Donald Trump character singing it instead of the Hillary Clinton singer singing it. Uh, I loved it, as you mentioned, just having people slowly file in and sing it together was great. I think one of the... Major kudos that I can give SNL season 42 is, yes, it was primarily from a political perspective about this big casting choice of Alec Baldwin as Donald Trump. But they were also able to build out, surprisingly, this cast of characters. You have the Kellyanne Conway. You have the Mike Pence. And granted, these characters aren't all completely fleshed out. Mike Pence is a good example. But, you know, you have Steve Bannon, you have Eric, and you have Don Jr. I can't think of a time in recent SNL memory where they were able to not only lampoon a president, but lampoon essentially everyone associated with the president. And again, not to put my political proclivities out there, I think it speaks more so to just SNL's writing and being able to build out good characterizations from that. And it also is an interesting representation in what we've been speaking about, I think, for the last couple months, which is, you know, if and when Alec Baldwin decides to stop doing Donald Trump on a recurring basis, what do you do? And I think SNL, what they showed in this sketch, in a way, was saying, hey, you know, we can still do Trump without Trump. There are enough people that exist in this White House that we have portrayed and have written sharp enough characterizations for that should we not have a Trump on hand to play the man himself in the sketches, we still have more than enough people by his side to be able to represent any sort of political viewpoints we may be taking. Yeah, I think, you know, and we'll get into season 43. I think without him, it's such a strong sort of uh, thing to sort of wrap our head around because uh, he's so good. But I think in the scheme of things, we'll be OK. And and that was, I, I think, mm-hmm. what we all sort of took away from this. So uh, I also liked that it wasn't particularly long. I thought it was a fun little sort of dig at the end, uh, you know, about, you know, how he did nothing wrong. But I can't I can't vouch for these people. So just o- overall, I just thought really fun way to sort of get into this i thought they they did such a such a a fun job and also i know that i had a theory for a while that it was mikey day in the steve bannon grim reaper costume but since mikey day obviously can't be in two places at once 
could it be was it Pete Davidson who is in the I still can't tell who's in the Green Reaper costume. Maybe someone out there can Well, it find is some sort of it has for me. It, it has been Mikey Day. Traditionally it is Mikey Day. That I okay. we've had Mike, Mikey Day has talked about that. Uh obviously last night to just come out and do nothing, they must have had someone else, whether it was an extra or someone like Pete. Uh but yeah, normally it is Mikey. So yeah. Yeah. And the yeah. only one thing that was missing, obviously was Sean Spicer. Sean Spicer, yes. yeah. We, ju- yeah. we just had Melissa McCarthy. I think it would be a hassle to fly her down unless they decide to do another live broadcast from L.A. to pipe her in for, like, one verse. Uh, but she would be sorely missed because, yeah, I think that while Alec Baldwin is definitely the, the forefront of the political comedy in season 42, Sean Spicer is very closely behind. Yeah, and how great was it that uh, we also had Scarlett Johansson show up for, you know, out of nowhere to do her Ivanka uh, or uh, uh, Ivana one more time, which I thought was really great that she showed up for that. Yeah. So, which sort of ties me into the next thing, which was interesting. We come to the Dwayne Johnson monologue. He's always great. As I've said before, I always think he's very funny. Uh, and uh, we start out by him being inducted into the Five Timers Club uh, by Alec Baldwin, which is very cool. We just saw that at the end of the last episode of Melissa McCarthy. And then uh, who is he then sort of bring out to talk about running for president? Uh, but uh, the uh, the uh, sort of creator of the Five Timers Club or, you know, the initiator of the of the of the bit uh tom hanks comes out which is super fantastic um uh, so uh, i i well i have a, a weird comment i had a very meta sort of mm-hmm. experience with this um but what was your thought on on the monologue i mean first i sort of had my own geeking out moment and i'll say in advance that this podcast is probably going to be a series of comments where i just geek out over season 42 in general this might be hyperbolic on my part but i really do believe Looking back through the years of SNL, season 42, in terms of recent SNL history, is a banner year for a variety of reasons. And one of them is, look on that stage, you see Alec Baldwin, you see The Rock, you see Tom Hanks, all three of those guys hosted in this season. Mm -hmm. That is crazy. Plus, you've had cameo appearances by... Another five-timer, John Goodman. You had, as I mentioned before, three of the hottest stand-up comedians, Louis C.K., Aziz Ansari, and Dave Chappelle host. It was really, while there might have been a couple of, you know, so-and-sos and duds here and there in terms of hosts, there, this really was a dynamite lineup overall. So I was just geeking out over that. I do feel like this was a little long, but that being said, because it's Dwayne Johnson and Tom Hanks, both who eek and ooze so much charisma combined i was still drawn into it i did like some of the writing on it you know them pitching that they're going to be running together in the year 2020 because you know they're they're equally loved uh you know they're they're really america's sweetheart sweethearts in a variety of regards i love tom hanks saying you know i'll get the senior vote because i fought in world war ii in like 10 <laughs> different movies and the rock saying so i would get great. the minority vote because people assume i'm whatever they are it's just some great ability to like poke fun at them good on alec baldwin for also poking fun at himself by saying yeah you know we're all equally loved none of us has a black spot on our personas uh I, i'm always appreciative of when alec baldwin's able to make fun of himself in that perspective what's the most rollicking, uh, hilarious monologue ever. No, but it had such an excitable energy to it, which again, I feel like is a, is a microcosm of this episode overall. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. I thought it was uh, more fun than funny, and yet that was okay because you could tell they were having fun together. Tom Hanks just proving what an amazing comedian he is. Uh, I will say what took me at the moment is I felt so bad this season. You know, we had three people enter the Five Timers Club. Uh, yeah. You know, Dwayne Johnson starts the, the episode in the monologue getting his coat. Melissa McCarthy gets her coat at the end of, of the episode. Scarlett Johansson joined the Five Timers Club, didn't even really get a mention, much less a jacket on her episode. And now she's in the building. She was just in the cold open and they can't bring her out to give her a coat. I don't know why they didn't have her in a coat at the end of the episode. I felt uh, not that I care uh, specifically about Scarlett Johansson, but I certainly felt bad for her. I felt like she got a little robbed there. But uh, Mm -hmm. I'm of course splitting hairs on this. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, fun way to start the show. Uh, and then uh, we go into a long, we, we, we do a long sort of first act without uh, without commercials. We start with, uh, uh, I think this was the Cartier ad, which which is the first one. Uh, and uh, to all of those haters that think, I don't know what's going on in pop culture, I knew what this was about. <laughs> I knew what was going on. I was not sort of thrown by that. Um, I thought this was, uh, again, the, the sort of 14 Garrett gold fidget spinner uh, was a, a really fun bit for me. It was was a little bit like two different premises sort of brought together and maybe mm-hmm. not brought together perfectly, but still, especially knowing this was Vanessa's last show, still a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, we've said time and time again that Vanessa Bear is probably the MVP of any sort of pre-taped sketches just because she's such a great performer and she can play the straight person, she can play the crazy person, just like you talked about with Bobby. That really makes her such a versatile performer. I mean, I'm sure we can talk about some of her best moments, I'm sure later on in Double I'll be eulogize her. I do agree that this felt like two different premises. I was just not entirely sure. Maybe I'm not on the up and up with fidget spinners, but I feel like fidget spinners are like a teenager, young adult thing, aren't they? I'm a little confused as to why this woman is the worst, and so she's being given a fidget spinner. And even when she was given one, they like... I went back to it like a couple times, but instead they went back to like, oh no, she's the worst person ever. So I was in, I completely agree with you in that. Like, it seemed like they had two different premises. They wanted to put this fidget spinner in there somehow and they decided to assign it to this really horrible woman in terms of behavioral <laughs> right. styles. But I, I, w- I would wonder if there was something stronger that they could do. But considering that Vanessa knocked it out of the park in terms of performance, as always, I can't disparage it too much. Yeah, no, I, you're right. And I thought uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. She did it, you know, and because Vanessa, uh, you know, can play the sweet girl next door and she can also play sort of the high maintenance bully. Uh, I thought she did a great job here. So uh, not one that's going to make the best of list, but still a very, very fun start to, to the show. Uh, and then we get to our first live sketch. Uh, oh, boy, you I, uh, during the, the during the pod buster when they showed the the, the you know, the them setting up the the WWE wall. I knew exactly what was coming. I uh, I had I I had changed my my icon, my Facebook icon to uh, Trash Yard Mutt. Uh, this character. So WWE promo shoot. This goes back to the 2015 um, Dwayne Johnson hosting when we had first seen this uh, as uh, Coco Watch Out and Trash Yard Mutt trashing each other during the promos. Uh, but Coco takes it too far. Um, yeah. So I was super. Super excited to see this come back. Uh, and for me, it was me grinning throughout that they were doing it again and that this was such a nice uh, goodbye for Bobby. Not necessarily loving this incarnation of the sketch, but loving mm. that they were doing it. Yeah, so 
I'm going to refer back to one Mike Bloom making a remark at the end of the last podcast we did seven days ago when I said, it'd be fun if they did this sketch again, as long as they don't repeat beat for beat the sketch that they did last time. And what did they do here? And I do agree that I think it's very performed well. I think one of the reasons why, you know, it works out so well that they had The Rock host the finale and they had Bobby in there as well is because you even commented on this the first time that Bobby puts in a hell of a performance in that yes. first sketch. And he, and he does here as well. But again, we spoke about this with Sean Spicer. You really speak about it every time you use the, the Mad Libs adage to really yes. define any of these Weekend Update characters. It's diminishing returns, um, especially when you're applying the same form to every time it happens. Now, was it not funny? No. I think there were some really fun moments in it, and I loved the heightening, eventually building to, as I alluded to before, this big revelation that Coco and Trashyard Mutt are actual twins uh, that, you know, were, were bred together in a lab. I think, you know, that was even an escalation from the first sketch, which I believe was that uh, Bobby was dating or was lasciviously looking at this girl that is actually his daughter that he didn't realize. So I liked how absurd it got. It it just felt like for me that like uh, you could have gone so many different places with this and you know both of them are game. I don't know why you necessarily need to feel like you had to recapture lightning in a bottle when there are so many other storms around you for you to investigate. Yeah, and I think that again, this because it's Bobby's last episode. It's more of a callback. I and by the way, I'm going to say this: shame on me. I was just so busy getting ready for today. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch the 2015 uh, sketch again, and I wanted to because my memory is that in the 2015 version, uh, the character of Coco is not an innocent uh, rube who sort of keeps sort of accidentally doing these things, but is much more mean spirited about it. And I think that it worked better. I thought it was more you know, he hired a private eye to investigate mm-hmm. the the trash yard mutt and i think that there was a weird vibe of like uh him sort of uh of coco sort of like wanting to do right by his friend and then trashing him that i don't remember from the first one so i think it, it was also a little bit muddy on this one but again mm-hmm. i'm sure i'm sure as we'll hear on twitter i could be wrong yeah i i do agree that i think there are Subtle changes in the characters because, yeah, I think it does make it more fun when he's less, when he's more unintentionally mean. When he's like, oh no, this is just trash talking. And we'll talk about the other recurring sketch coming up where I also feel like characters' motives change. And that also comes as a result, you know, not to get too much into the improv of it all, but, you know, when you do a Herald, for example, sometimes when you do second beats, you end up changing things a little bit in terms of character motives, which might muddy things up, as you mentioned. So it's just a side effect. And that being said, uh, last thing I'll say about the sketches, I could just watch Bobby Moynihan dance to Katy oh. Perry for hours at a time. Yeah, you know, and and absolutely funny. But for me, there's just the there's that the thing that I was watching for with such glee is just the Bobby. Oh. Come on! Yeah. I could just watch that over and over. It just killed me every single time. So, uh, <laughs> so we move on to a new piece, a uh, a rap song uh, featuring the stylings of Big Chris. Uh, this was actually written by Mikey Day, Streeter Seidel, and Brian Tucker. Directed by Oz Rodriguez. Uh, a very simple premise that uh, you know Big Chris is introducing uh, some new, uh, some of the new members of the New Money crew, uh, and yet it keeps on getting larger and larger and larger to the point where it just gets ridiculous. Um, And I thought this was silly and predictable and yet just fun, just a very fun, disposable kind of thing that uh, I think they had a lot of fun with. 
Yeah, and they have these types of sketches sometimes where it's just like an all-in with the ensemble and everyone kind of gets their part to do. I, I would not be surprised if you'd, I know you said that there were writers to this sketch, but if they went up to each cast member and said, okay, give yourself the most ridiculous rapper name possible. Uh, some highlights for me, uh, Kyle as Sloppy Moses. Uh, yes. I liked the, it's always rare when you see Che and Jost in a sketch. So I like them as two yes. black guys. Uh, I thought that yeah. was, it was, it was nice to keep and sort of acknowledge that and then move on. Uh, Preg Nasty. I think that was Kate. Was a good one. Of course, it, Bobby Moynihan's big episode got to acknowledge him as Skiffle, uh, which is a hilarious statement. Also, the fact that he just looks like the guy from LMFAO. Uh, I liked Beck as essentially Simon, who I think said he was a modern day witch. Uh, but of, <laughs> witch, but of a course, modern day wit, I think it was. Oh, wit. Okay, that yeah, makes yeah. more sense. But of course, yeah. they cannot hold a candle, or should I say, a jack o' lantern to the return of David S. Pimpkins. <laughs> But yeah, th- them throwing David S. Pumpkins into this was such a ridiculous, out of nowhere, loved it. Uh, you know, before that, I will say, ironically, my favorite was Snow Cone. Uh, it oh, really, Day, to yeah. me, Mikey Day, and for me, we'll talk about this later, There, it, it, he did more with one word than a lot of people did with lines. It was just when he was like, Snow Cone, it just mm-hmm. really made me laugh every time. But certainly the idea of David S. Pumpkins showing up one more time with a gun because now he's a rapper was very fun. I thought uh, it was really fun. Uh, by the way, just in Bobby Moynihan uh, geek out factor, where I was uh, as much as it was fun that he did skiffle, I was sort of upset. I thought when they cut to him, I thought he was going to be ass Dan, and I was Aww. very excited that I was very excited that we might have uh, ass Dan, who then would have died during the uh, recording of the of the piece. So we missed that. But yeah, very silly, very fun, gets very mm-hmm. large. I thought once they get to the point where now they're going to actually try to rap, I think maybe comedically it felt apart a little bit but still really fun and just again the energy of this episode is just really really strong yeah completely agree yeah so uh so now we come back to another live sketch uh another new sketch uh we chris uh, uh sorry dwayne johnson is uh is a superhero he is scorpio uh he's going to save the city uh and defeat the evil uh villain uh but before he does he gets into a conversation with cecily strong about the uh the costume that he made for himself and they start digging into the fact that he made it himself um i will say that i am I'm not a huge comic book nerd, although I certainly have seen many things and I, I, I've talked about stuff before, so I have a sense of it. I thought the the sort of premise of this was such a wonderful observation of somebody who's a comic book fan that somehow when whenever someone becomes a superhero, no matter what their walk, walk of life is or where they come from, they somehow become amazing at creating these very complicated and ornate costumes. So I thought this was a really fun way into a sketch i agree that it's a wonderful observation i have heard said wonderful observation from a variety of mediums about five to ten times so i could totally understand it from the first time seeing it it's a really great idea because yeah it's it's insane how these superheroes are able to create such ornate costumes without any sort of seamstress skills but that being said for me just because i've been exposed to that type of joke before it did come off as a little trite and so 
Well, I will admire the, admire the performances. I guess the, the highlight for me of the sketch was when you bring in AD and you bring in Sashir, who we will also sort of lament as well as it seems like she's leaving the show as well. I thought there was a really fun bit in there where, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, you could put a scorpion on your chest. And he just starts like, you know, it's a garment, not a costume. Do you walk around with a, blue, a blouse that has Sue written all over it? Yes. Uh, that, to me, was the, the best part of the sketch. Uh, to me, it felt a little done before. But then again... You know, you can attest to the fact that as someone who had not really thought of that before, it comes off as a, a fantastic nouveau uh, concept. So, you know, I can't yeah. argue with that. I will also say, you know, worked for me more. Maybe I hadn't heard it before. Also, I like the subtlety that they don't take it broad. We don't go to a stereotype of like suddenly he's a very fey gay man or some other uh, unneeded stereotype to heighten. Instead, we sort of kept it small. And for me, that's what I, I liked about this sketch is that it stayed a small sketch. And I thought that worked very well for me. Yeah, lots of specificities with the Scorpio character, which was fun. I don't have any of the lines written down, but he went to a lot of very specific, you know, design terms of like, you know, I used earthy colors. I thought that was, that was really fun. And I think comedy always lies in the details and lies in the specificity. So I give them kudos in that regard. Yeah, no, I thought they did a nice job. So, uh, and then uh, and then we do another sketch that is a bit of a repeat, uh, the Jurassic Park ride, which is really we're repairing Gene and his wife, Keenan and Vanessa, again, play the straight couple to uh, what had originally, back in 2015, been Dwayne Johnson and Cecily Strong playing Gemma. Since uh, since then, we I think this is the fourth iteration of the of this sketch, uh, and I think this is very hit and miss. Uh, I think there was a lot of fun here, but I would say for me, it was probably the first kind of miss for the night. I, I definitely, uh, as much as I thought the first time they did this, it was hilarious. This time felt like we were just going through a lot of the same beats again. It's interesting that you say Vanessa and Keenan were the straight couple, because I would say Vanessa was the straight person. It seems like Keenan, over the course of these four sketches, had turned from like the reluctant straight person into a veritable human monster who just like has complete blatant disregard for his wife. So again, if we're looking at the trajectory, I can't say I'm a fan of how much they changed that character, considering that like now it's sort of like an all on one situation. Whereas the first time, as you mentioned, it was sort of the two of them sitting down and, you know, the rocks character being like, Hey, gee, you remember me? He's like, yeah, I, I guess. And Keenan was, does a great job of playing the straight man. But now it's sort of like the pile on Vanessa, which again, Vanessa bear did a great job. And she really, is going out with the bang, considering that the sketch was pretty much an excuse to just throw on as much water on her yes. as possible. Uh, and it seemed like everyone had a blast with it. But I don't know. It's I was hoping that if we saw this sketch again, that it would sort of put some vim and vigor back into the characters that we sort of have lost, as you mentioned, since the first time it happened. But I think it just shows that you know maybe we just shouldn't be going back to this well anymore, especially considering how much they've warped Keenan's character since its inception. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I think that uh, the change in his car in, in Keenan's character was also very muddy for me. So it wasn't even just like, oh, it involved into this thing. For me, it was really like, I don't totally understand what we're looking at. So, uh, yeah, not my favorite. Although I will say, baby pig can't not love baby pig. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, so so I'll take that at least. Um <laughs> 
So then we go to another pre-taped sketch uh, really featuring uh, Dwayne Johnson uh, talking about his enhancement drug that he got from uh, Bobby Moynihan, sort of a takeoff on Cialis and, uh, and, uh, and, and then obviously a lot of just sort of drug company run ads, uh, you know, for, for medications. Uh, I thought this was just really fun. I just, mm-hmm. this, I thought it never got hilarious, but it started out really cute and it just sort of slowly built and built and built until until uh, I was just was just enjoying this every step of the way. You hit the nail on the head when talking about build. I don't just mean that because it seems to take place in a construction site. But yeah, it starts off fairly rote, like you said, going harkening back to these medication commercials. And even, you know, it goes into the trope of like, I asked my doctor about this. And I love that it just sort of builds from there of like, you know, I asked my doctor about Zentrex. And he said, what's Zentrex? And I showed yeah. him the website and it just keeps building from there. And then it gets to this delightful place where he's throwing the doctor around and they list off the side effects and he the side effects include like in, like decrease in semen increase in semen and then you have Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson still like as sedate and calm as he was in the beginning with a bloody nose talking about how his blood runs cold but his heart feels hot he can read minds now it just shows how strong and game of a performer that he is in that like he's still able to maintain this gentility to him while completely absurd words are coming out of his mouth. It it was a beautiful thing to watch in terms of escalation. Yes, no, I agree. I thought it was a really, really nice job here. So uh, this one, I think, will not necessarily to say it's a best of, but I do think it'll stand the, be- the, the test of time. Uh, and then uh, and then we get to Katy Perry. Uh, we get to Katy Perry, uh, uh, who is always fantastic and always great. Uh, once again, proving that I'm old. That's, uh, you know, uh, you know, again, no one's listening to to us to talk about our, our sense of music performances. Uh, I but I will say that. I, I, I've liked Carrie Perry since uh, day one. I think she's very good. I am not into dance music, so I don't think that uh, it's it's my style. I think her first album was much more rock, which I which I quite liked. This one less so. I will leave that to the music critics to, to sort of debate. I will say this macro, and I want to hear what you think, Mike. And so this is less about Katy Perry and more about this sort of style. I think that these sort of very performancey are crafted uh, 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 performances as opposed to the band singing that we had with Katy Perry's first song and, and definitely her second song really for me do not work well in Studio 8H. They feel very hmm. claustrophobic. They feel very small. They feel very crammed in. I just don't feel like the stage of Studio 8H lends itself to these sort of pieces. So whether she's uh, you know doing a fashion show and, and having other people come out and dance or whether uh, she's on a table and people are eating around her. Uh, I, I just always sort of feel the smallness and the low ceiling and sort of the claustrophobia of it for me. It's interesting. I feel like it really depends on the, what the setting is because I will agree that in the fashion show is interesting because it inherently requires a runway and I don't think 8H is a very deep set so the depth of it didn't really come across. Though I also have to give kudos because as I talked about before as a rampant RuPaul's Drag Race super fan to see Vivacious, 
the drag queen take place in said uh, fashion show was fantastic. So so much synergy between Drag Race and SNL as of late. I'm there you as go. someone who po- as someone who podcasts about both shows. I'm very happy about that. But I, I the one that I'm thinking of in terms of like performance art at, within the music is. Do you remember uh, Beck did a song? God, it must be between like five to ten years ago, where there were like marionettes sitting at a kitchen table, and that yes. really worked for me because it was contained. Yes. Uh, so that's sort of like almost using the, the containment aspect that you were speaking about to its advantage. But I do agree that, you know, if they're trying to build or con- take sets that they use for tours and try to put them onto the stage of 8H, it works as well as like trying to use your own sound in the stage of 8H and that it really will not be able to work and adapt to its settings. That being said, Katy Perry is enough of an artist visually, which is really what I take in mostly from these musical performances, that it kept me captivated, especially, as I mentioned, the looniness of, uh, what was this first song? Uh, Swish, Swish? Something like that? Uh, I know it's it's written about, it's like a subtweet, basically, against Taylor Swift. Uh, but between, like, the contortionist and that weird backpack kid swinging his arms around, it was so enthralling in a way. And then her second bone appetite was just her lying on a table with some ornate table decorations around her. I mean, she sells the hell out of a performance, but you make a good point in that, you know, if artists are looking to bring big landmark pieces into, you know, TV performances, Rockefeller Center Studio 8H is not the place to do it. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, so, but again, she's fantastic. I don't want anyone to take away that my that my view on this is that she wasn't good. She's always great uh, and continues to be great. So, a lot of fun there. So, uh, good. So, let's go to weekend update. Our final weekend update of the year felt like a short weekend update to me overall. If uh, I didn't look at the time, but it definitely felt short. A um, lot of good jokes at the beginning. Uh, really taking a lot of shots at Trump and uh, and the Trump administration. Uh, I thought. There was a lot of fun here. I felt that they really were sort of hitting on all on all cylinders as they were making fun of uh, Trump and Pence. Yeah, it seemed like, and we can sort of use this to, you know, I'll pose the question to you as, what do you think about Che and Joe's? Because you know, SNL essentially uses its political sketches sparingly, but Weekend Update has really become the hub to comment on current events and specifically political events and you know with such a polarizing political climate i feel like now more than ever weekend update becomes that more important i've always been a fan especially of late of the you know che jost dynamic as you said i feel like they have been biting in pretty hard into the trump administration so much so that even in our last podcast we were saying like oh maybe they should dial it back a little bit you know they are verging more on mean than they were on funny but a lot of great lines here. Uh, Joe saying, you know, if, if James Comey really didn't want Trump to pay attention to him, he should have married him. Uh, oh, Shay saying great. Trump is Trump is a politician like Ja Rule is a festival oh, organizer. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's it's I love the you know, the the bad day tribute in the middle to all the people that <laughs> that Donald Trump lost in his time as president. Uh, I will say, again, thinking about maybe a little bit of a copy and paste jokes, uh, the Dwayne the Scissors Johnson joke. I believe, and I might be incorrect. I feel like I we've heard that they, before. So when he won Sexiest Man Alive, I do believe they said, like, Dwayne The Rock Johnson won Sexiest Man Alive, narrowly beating out Dwayne The Scissors Johnson. I think uh, so, so, yeah. Yeah, I think you're so, right. So, I mean, you know, D- The Rock's doing great. 
it's a good way to use the joke. I don't know if you necessarily need to use that joke again. It wasn't necessarily a, a knock out of the park. But I'm going to pose the question to you, as I said. What do you think about Jost and Che coming out of Season 42? Do you feel like they are, especially amongst the other political satirists that go on in late night these days, do you feel like they hold a candle? Well, boy, that's all. It's a it's a loaded it's question because there's, question, there's yeah. a lot of answers to that. I will say this: I think that the writing is strong. I think the the they're both very strong. Again, who knows who's writing what? And you've got you know Josh Patton and the whole sort of writing staff specifically for Weekend Update. A lot of great jokes coming out of this. I think that Colin Jost has really found his voice. I know that you know the take has always been a bit of a, uh you know like oh he's uh you know he's um um Seth Meyers light. I think that he's sort of very similar, but has found his own voice. Um, and I and I think that Michael Chase come really far. I and I am going to say this one more time. And I always hate saying anything that might you know be negative, but I think that Colin Jost's I'm sorry that Michael Chase style is still not quite right for the rapid fire uh, uh, world of Weekend Update. I think when he gets on a rant, it's better. Um, but I felt like I thought that the the funniest joke of Weekend Update this week was a joke that got no laughs and Michael Che just burned past it because it got no laughs and I think that he just if he had given it one second for it to sink in what he was saying it would have gotten huge laughs and I think he just read the room wrong he does a tweet about that uh, that I think um, Donald Twitter uh, uh, Donald Trump had a, had a tweet that said this is the single greatest witch hunt of a politician in American history and Che's joke was you're right it is the greatest and I thought that was so fantastic but if yeah. you blinked last night you missed it because it got no laugh, <coughs> and then he went right on to the next joke. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the difference between success or failure, uh, you know, in this world. So, uh, and again, this is not a knock on Michael as a comedian, but this format, I still don't quite know. I think he's certainly quite good, but I would say in the pantheon of Weekend Update hosts, I don't quite know. Uh, I think he'll always be considered a little bit like a Kevin Nealon. Very mm. talented and very funny, but maybe never quite totally fit with the rat-a-tat-tat necessity of uh, the Weekend Update format. Um, but that said, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll do specials over the, uh, over the summer, and it'll be interesting yeah. to see what they do. So I want to I want to talk about that as well because I know we got a couple of questions about it. So I don't know if I don't remember if it's been talked about on this podcast, but NBC is officially greenlit a weekend update. I guess they technically are calling it a spinoff, where I believe starting mid August they're going to be doing weekly half hour shows, and I'm intrigued by it. I, I don't know whether I want to like it or hate it so far because I'm wondering. I don't know if we have any information yet as to whether or not it's happening up until SNL premieres. If for some reason, it catches fire, and they decide to do two shows at once. My heart goes out to those guys, both jo- Jost and Che and everyone working on it, because that is so much material to prepare. But, you know, if people really want their dose of those guys over the summer, now they have it. And I feel like this is pretty unprecedented, right, outside of the election updates with Seth Meyers. 
Well, we had so a couple of things. So uh, the good news is it's not going to overlap with the season. It's going to oh, great. It's it's a four week run. It's going to start in early August and run through pretty much August. Um, so I think that that's a good uh, you know. So for them, there'll be sort of a nice break uh, and sort of you know so see what that sort of uh, works out to. Uh, it's not fully unprecedented. You may remember uh, in two thousand and eight uh, they had a Thursday night. They had weekend update on. Thursday night, Seth Meyers and Amy Poehler hosted, I think they just called it Saturday Night Live Weekend Update Thursday, uh, and it ran, I want to say... Uh, five or six episodes leading up to the 2008 election uh, and mm-hmm. that did cross over with the uh, with the actual Thursday night uh, uh, with, with Saturday Night Live and that was rough because that was yeah. a lot of material being generated on a weekly basis so I think this is a much more sober plan in that you'll have I'm assuming the same writing staff and the same production staff who will get to sort of do it uh, you know uh, without having a show to produce on Saturday Night as well um so i'll see i will say i remember weekend update thursday uh pretty uh vividly and i did not love it i thought there were a lot of funny jokes but trying to expand the weekend update format out to half an hour was rough uh and i uh hopefully they bring some new thinking to this version uh the good news is they're not also trying to produce a show at the same time which is i think why the expansion of it on thursday nights in 20 in in 2008 was tougher for me than I would have liked. Well, that's good. At least their their eyes are not bigger than their stomachs in that regard. Like you said, I think they've learned their lesson. But as a fan of the team, I'm excited to see what they're going to bring. I mean, I think politics is as eventful as it is now that I think they will have plenty of material uh, between the three months between then or now and then. I'm excited to see. Uh, did they bring? Did they have uh, update characters or was it pretty much yes. just the two of them? No, no, a lot of characters. They relied a lot on characters to fill out the pieces and pre-tape pieces. So you'll you'll see some of that. So yes, yeah, that's great. And so that'll yeah. be a great way for us to you know get to see our our the the characters and the actors that we love so much maybe it'll be a way to debut some new people on the show who knows but it, it's going to be very very interesting to see what they do in a few months but like i said in the very beginning of this whole segment i'm a fan of the Joseph and Che dynamic i feel like they have some stuff to really bite their teeth into i think you bring up good points about michael che's delivery i don't know if that's changing anytime soon but you know I, i'm happy to soldier forward with them moving into the season 43 yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, so going back to this weekend update, uh, we see the return from last week of our uh, weather weather reporter, Don Lazarus. Uh, if you listen to the last podcast, you know what I thought of her last time. Uh, but I will say, knowing that Vanessa was leaving, I knew she would do something. And as much as I didn't like Don Lazarus, when the options were... Laura Parsons or Jacob the Bar Mitzvah boy, I welcome Don Lazarus with open arms. I was so excited that this is what they uh, what they decided to do. Uh, mm-hmm. So just a fun, dumb way to sort of wrap this up. Uh, you know, wrap, you know her sort of last weekend update. I think she did a really fun job. Uh, again, I don't think this is brilliant, uh, but knowing that this is the last time that we'll see this, at least for the near term, uh, got a lot of laughs out of it for me. 
I feel like on the Vanessa, Vanessa update character power rankings, you got to put Rachel Green number one, right? That's who I was saddened to not see. But I guess when you that character, uh, when you go on there with Jennifer Aniston herself, there's really no way to top that. But yeah, I mean, again, if you listen to the podcast last time, you know that I enjoyed this character for what it was, which was Vanessa really selling the nonsense gibberish that was coming out of her mouth. Like you said, this would probably come back next season, but would not have come back so quickly if it weren't for Vanessa leaving. This is not another Jebediah Atkinson. Uh, but, you know, Vanessa had a great time with it, and I think it's it's just a tribute to the fact that Vanessa Bear has been a very big clutch Weekend Update performer. Her characters might not necessarily draw in the most amount of praise, as you said, looking at Jacob and Laura Parsons and how much they're utilized, perhaps repetitive. It does show, though, that Vanessa has some characters up her sleeve, and she's always willing to just pull one random out and just debut it on the update stage. Yeah, yeah. So so great job for her. Uh, and then, to no one's surprise, but uh, to make me feel very happy, we had a final run of uh, our old friend Drunk Uncle, which I was very happy about. They they really had not played uh, – we had, we had not seen – unless I'm, I could be wrong, but I don't think we saw Drunk Uncle this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was great uh, that it was not sort of burnt out for a final Drunk Uncle, uh, which for me was just very, very fun. Uh, it was not the funniest drunk uncle by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not going to pretend otherwise, but I thought in general, a lot of funny lines, totally mad libbed as always, but filling in the boxes was really fun and uh, obviously made me a little weepy because I knew it was Bobby's last show. Yeah, you talk about the Mad Libs and they're definitely there, but it's almost like, you know, going into your parents' attic and dusting off that Mad Libs pad that you haven't looked at in like a few years. Because like you said, it's been so long since we've seen him that it's not like every three months we're getting the rinse and repeat. Blank me, blank me. So I'm not blank, okay? So I'm not blank. So it did feel a little refreshing, albeit a little formulaic. But, I mean, the stuff that they fill in there, the character is just so strong that sometimes it doesn't even matter what he's saying because Bobby... It's just fantastic in this role, and he really pulled out the stops this time. I loved the Ghostbusters should be men tag oh, because it was the that's yet another yeah, and it's a, yet another way for SNL to be like, hey, this was the reaction to that movie that featured you know three current cast members slash alumni and one five timer host. Uh, so I think you know Bobby was really able to just go all out with Drunk Uncle this time, and I really enjoyed it because. He was able to you know, utilize some things like La La Land and Instagram stories that, again, because he hasn't done it in so long, do feel a little refreshed. And to cap it all off with him doing a shot with Colin Jost, and by that I mean pulling out a revolver and playing Russian roulette. It's just it's a, it's a simple way of doing things. We don't need Stefan marrying Seth Meyers in this giant church with all of these random characters. We Agreed. have only seen Drunk Uncle at the update desk. We only need to see him at the update desk. It's just a fun in-character way to send the character off, and and, and not uh, hopefully not in, with a bullet in terms of sending him off. Exactly, exactly. So fun, fun send-off for him. I thought he did a great job, which was fun. Uh, so, so we come back and, uh, I don't like fart jokes. I just don't, I, I, I don't know why. I just don't think they're particularly funny. Um, but we get, we're at the, we're at an RKO movie set, I think in the forties, it's 1948. And, uh, Dwayne Johnson plays a young actor working with a classic leading lady, uh, played by Vanessa Bayer. Uh, and she, uh, and she starts farting through the sketches, uh, through the, through the takes. Um, 
okay, sure. Mm. Uh, I wish they, you know, uh, you know, I wish they had done more with this valuable piece of real estate. Um, and I don't particularly think fart jokes are particularly that funny, but I will say that I thought Vanessa Bayer did a really good job. Every time she talked about how she made a mistake, how long her mistakes were, uh, all of that stuff to me was just very, that she did that very funny. And I thought this was a great nod to Vanessa, letting Vanessa be Vanessa one more time. If you recall in the Alec Baldwin episode, the final sketch from that episode was the gym class where... Uh, Mikey Day was doing sit-ups and he was farting uh, and I remember us saying like okay we didn't like that but at least you know it it was only on our screen for a short amount of time can't say that much about this sketch I do agree that Vanessa is an admirable performer to the point of where they're making her just fart on stage a million times but yeah it really didn't go anywhere I mean kudos to Bobby who, as you said, was all over this episode as the sound guy. And I did like this one random moment where one of the farts sounded like a child's laughter, uh, which, <laughs> yeah. which I thought once that moment happened, I didn't know if it was a mistake, but I thought once that moment happened, if it wasn't a mistake, that they were going to keep amping up the absurdity of the noises, but it ended up not being that. So I'm with you. I'm not really all for fart humor purely as a game, but the cast members seemed game enough. Uh, just not one of my favorites. Yeah, and I, uh, I, I think the one thing that I assume that they were doing is that I don't think uh, Vanessa knew exactly what the fart sounds were going to be. Reminiscent to me of an improv warm-up game that I find very boring of sort of the back line making farting noises through a sketch just to try to make the actors laugh, and the actors never actually laugh because it's not that funny. Here, I thought that Vanessa uh you know had a lot of fun and and did this uh i i so okay sure we did it what what are you going to do uh now so then we move to to me what is more of a classic 10 to 1 sketch um yeah. A lot of setup to sort of get into the world's most evil invention contest. Uh, our, our man Bobby is the is the host of uh, getting together all of the sort of uh, the worst people in the world. Uh, you know the, the you know um, uh, you know uh, all the nefarious criminals of the world, uh, and we're seeing shrink rays and freeze rays. Uh, very sort of uh, calling out the comic book world without exactly actually saying anything specifically about comic books. Uh, and then Dwayne Johnson shows up as Roy, who created his invention, a child molesting robot. I thought I mean, this was great. Uh, I mean, pe- people who have listened to this podcast know how much I love that dark type of humor. And we'll talk about the ending a little bit, how that, that ending might have walked it back. But Dwayne Johnson knows selling this entire concept and being so straight faced about the fact that he invented a child molesting robot landed so well it was incredible and i i do agree that the build-up was a little long but it almost made up for the build-up because then you have these villains that we know being like oh no no i just like invented a shrink ray like you're going too far and then i love johnson's sort of explanation of like hey evil defines you know someone who is uh you know morally nefarious and you know mussolini did this that's sort of like the goal the 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 goal post that you want to go through uh so i thought it was like a fun little call out of supervillains. i guess there was sort of a superhero theme between two of these sketches going on this episode but it was all in dwayne johnson's performance of him just sort of straight face saying you know yeah you know i built this because i built a robot and then you molest it and you hope the cycle continues (laughs) 
Oh, so fantastic. So dark. And as you said, you know, so great that you know, almost reminding me of a Buck Henry sketch from the 70s, um, I thought was such a like that he was going there and really leaning into that. Like he never sort of winked to the camera, uh, you know, just that, you know, you know, he took it in a slightly different direction uh, and really sort of and that you, you had that whole idea of the cycle of abuse sort of making that a joke was so, you know, out there. And, and I just thought. Great commentary on the idea of evil geniuses and how evil are they. Uh, the end, you know, this whole White Castle end felt like a, a weird tag because they didn't know how to get mm-hmm. out of it for me. Uh, but so it, it it probably would have been more fun to see it end earlier, but all good. Uh, in general, all good. Yeah, I, I don't exactly know what the pivot to the White Castle thing was. Maybe this is their sponsored content. I don't know if White Castle wants to be affiliated with a child molesting yeah. robot sketch, but I guess uh, that's what you get for when you start swimming with sharks in a way. But it was, yeah, it was an odd pivot because it felt like Roy had his justification. He was still the crazy man in the straight man, crazy man dichotomy, but he had a simple explanation for it. But when he starts talking about like, oh, yes, I will go to a sandwich restaurant. White Castle is a sandwich restaurant. Like that's starting to get a little murky with the character, so I agree. I would have loved to cut off the sketch like 90 seconds before, but still, the core of this sketch was so darkly done and so fantastically executed that I can't disparage it too much. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. So uh, really just, you know, good on them for going there. I think it was just such a fun piece to go to. Uh, And then continuing, uh, you know, live uh, now that we're sort of really at the back half of of the post update, uh, we see, uh, you know, uh, Dwayne Johnson at a bar. He's really not comfortable uh, pick hitting on women. So the bartender, Beck Bennett, decides to do it for him and gets himself invited into a threesome. Uh, And I thought, uh, you know, this was uh, fun. I thought that everyone in it did a fine job. Um, I wish we had seen Bobby earlier. I thought the right. I felt like this was probably a super fun sketch at the table read, but I don't know that it was necessarily a fun live sketch. Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense because I think the concept is funny, and I love the initial reveal of Beck walking up to the Rock and saying. Yeah, great. It's a success. She's going to have a three-way with us. But then it sort of is treading water from there, and you sort of keep hitting the same beats where now there's this second girl, and he needs to walk over and say, oh, well, you know, she offered to have a three-way with you and her girlfriend, but I said no because you're not into that thing. Where it's sort of like, how can you keep repeating the same beats and have them come off differently? It's a little bit of a tough thing to do. I do think bringing in Bobby as Carlos is an interesting way to add some new spice to it. And I did like the eventual end with saying, okay, we'll do a five-way, and then that doesn't work. But yeah, I thought this was fine and nothing particularly special. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then our last sketch of the night, which I have to say, uh, for me, I had a little bit of a letdown only because once I heard that it was Vanessa Bayer's last, uh, you know, last show, I was really hoping that our 10 to 1 sketch was going to be one more run at the porn stars with Cecily Strong. I thought that would have been such a fun way. You know, Bobby sort of had his moment as the son is drunk uncle. I think instead of Vanessa Bayer farting on the RKO movie set, I really was hoping to see the porn stars one more time uh instead we got the senior video of uh bobby moynihan beck bennett uh cecily strong and uh and i'm sorry wait 
Who was the? Yeah, no, it was, it was Vanessa. It was, it was, it was, it was Beck, Beck, Kyle, Vanessa, and Bobby. Yes, uh, which was, uh, you know, again, this is sort of the meta comedy of like, look, you know, we're intentionally being bad because these characters would be bad at trying to be funny. Um, I don't quite know what this was. Again, I think it was hard for me to even judge the sketch because all I was actually thinking during the sketch is, wait, are Beck and Kyle leaving SNL? I don't I don't think so. So it was just sort of a weird mix for me. Yeah, and I think that has definitely produced reactions as well. I believe Zach Brooks reached out to us about this on Twitter. A couple of other people did as well about, yeah, it's strange that, and this has happened before. You know, I'm thinking, for example, uh, you know, you have like Bill Hader gets a big send-off a couple of years ago with the aforementioned Stefan send-off. Jason Sudeikis doesn't come back next season and gets nary a mention about it. So I I don't think that necessarily all goodbyes are created equal yeah. If that's the case with the two of them leaving, it, it would just, I mean, I don't think it would be, from a strategic perspective, good, because I'm certainly sure we can talk about with Bobby Moynihan leaving, what sort of hold does that leave in the programming, and the fact that Beck and Kyle, Beck especially, have really dug a good hole for themselves in terms of the SNL cast and niche of it all. But yeah, this this was strength. This also felt like it got cut off like halfway through. Which is so strange, yeah. that as, as we talked about before, we had a couple of sketches that could have been cut by like 30 seconds or so. If you take 30 seconds from the Mad Scientist sketch and 30 seconds from the Wingman sketch and just add a full minute to this one, it would totally make sense. But you, you get like these like years in review and you get the, the Stranger Things reference. I thought there was a like these these fun moments where you know they would Beck's character would make fun of the cafeteria meatloaf and it cut to this like very irate Leslie as the cafeteria lady you have Dwayne Johnson's sub game as the principal being like eh, I can't wait to to hang out with you guys when you get out of school but then and that I liked ends. by the way I liked the sub game of it yes yeah, yeah but then it just sort of ends and so you're like I I'm so confused as to what the circumstances of this are and, and I'm also confused as to like what we were supposed to get out of this. So I wonder if we find out any behind the scenes information, maybe that will fill things in a little more clearly, but no matter what the reasoning for it was, I just wish we saw more of it. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, I think you're right. And similar to, I think what you were saying, uh, going, coming out of the wingman sketch, you know, as an SNL nerd, you know, if, if, if you, if you end the sketch and it goes to the card and you hear the key, the piano chords, you know, that that's the end of the show. If you hear the full band playing, you know, that there's one more sketch to come and coming out of wingman when there was the music of the full band, I was very thrown. I was like, how are we doing another sketch? It's getting late so yes i think they probably cut this short uh very abruptly and tried to sort of cut this down uh knowing what we know now also very odd that they didn't ask sashir to be in the sketch knowing that she Mm -hmm. clearly they knew that she was leaving it was news to us but not news to them so uh very strange it was very very strange so uh yeah yeah. so weird way to end uh season 42 we come back for the good nights now on the la feed the good nights were like after dwayne johnson you know does his thing it was like three seconds uh did yeah. you get to see more of it uh, uh no. on your feed well, I, okay. and i was so saddened about it because so you get you know this fun moment with katie perry and her dog and you have like Dwayne johnson getting tossed his five timers rope so that was fun he sort of gives a nice send off to the season overall johnson hanks reference and then we see in the background this like very clearly emotional bobby moynihan hugs somebody and then it cuts and that makes me you know i, I haven't had the time to look at the full goodbyes I on have. hulu i'm 
Oh, you oh, have? Okay, so you can, oh, you can provide yes. some more insight onto it, but like I was, and again, for the second time immediately in a row, I was heartbroken to find something cut short on SNL. Yes, yeah, it was very, I wish that you, you could have seen it and it was worth watching. I watched it on Hulu a couple of times. So the dynamic was very wonderful. So yes, as soon as they cut, you see Bobby Moynihan is crying. He gives Colin Jost a huge hug and, uh, you know, starts sort of saying goodbye to the people around him, which happens to be the guys Keenan sort of is doing the big sort of, uh, uh, finger pointing to Bobby sort of in, you know, in the like, it's this guy's leaving, you kind of a lot of love. Uh, and there's some milling about. Uh, meanwhile, and you've got obviously uh, that, you know, Dwayne Johnson is, is talking to Katy Perry and other people. And in the back, you see there's a tight circle uh, that is in its own world. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but uh, Vanessa, Kate McKinnon, 80. Uh, Leslie Jones and Sashir Zameda, the five of them are in a group circle bear hug crying and it is the most lovely thing and it doesn't feel exclusionary but it feels like this is a moment for us now weirdly and I think I wonder what this means uh, Melissa Villasenor was not in that bear hug she was separate Hmm. she was saying goodbye to other people so it was it was a little odd there Uh, but it was a very tight while other people are sort of walking around that they are just hugging and crying and enjoying the moment uh, while Bobby is sort of working through then the guys uh, because that's who's left uh, saying goodbye to people clearly crying and then in the back sort of Bobby goes into sort of that group uh, and you can't see it because it's all the way in the back and they're sort of saying uh, saying goodbye and it just seems very hmm. sweet. So uh, a, a very emotional end that unfortunately most of the America did not get to see because we had to do eight minutes of fart jokes. Yeah, I mean, and and that makes sense. I mean, I we've seen a lot go on with this main SNL female cast between all the songs they do. It seems like, you know, they all have dressing rooms next to each other. They seem very closely tight-knit. So I think to lose any of their own, let alone two, is something that's extremely emotional. So I don't think they meant to be, you know, divided by gender lines. No, no, no. It didn't. It's going to the exception. But I think, I think yeah. it just speaks to how close that group in particular got. Yes, yes. It, yeah, it did not. And I want to be clear. It did not feel like men versus women. It felt like... Just these women are very close and they had their moment together before expanding out. And so Bobby was in saying goodbye to the rest of the group, giving them their moment before then going and saying goodbye. Uh, So, yeah. So that's it was really hard uh you know just to uh you know say goodbye to the season uh but uh let's pivot instead of just sort of wrap up let's talk about season 42 i know we're getting on in time so we'll sort of do instead of doing full sort of tackies uh, i just want to sort of talk through some of uh you know best moments you know best mm-hmm. best pieces um uh you know and i'll we'll start just sort of hitting some of the the things uh you know looking at season 42 a lot of great cold opens this year a lot of great cold opens. Obviously, Donald Trump, you know, was, you know, it was either Donald Trump or it was anything else. Uh, you <laughs> could not top that. You couldn't top the Donald Trump. Uh, so many great Donald Trump's couple of ones that weren't as strong. Uh, but for me, clearly the one that was the winner that really set the tone for this Donald Trump more than the debates, more than anything else, was the uh, the Pussygate uh, Access Hollywood tape breaking and Donald Trump trying to uh, explain himself. Um, he was not apple-jeezing. He was not going to apologize. But I think in this Lin-Manuel Miranda episode, it really showed that SNL could be quite cutting, incisive, smart, 
they could hit below the belt when they wanted to, hit quite above the belt uh, when they need to, and uh, was just probably my favorite cold open of the year. Mm-hmm. I would put in uh, another submission. I know this is very recent, but I thought, again, this most recent cold open from this episode, just because, again, political affiliations aside, it was able to poke fun at itself or at least make reference to itself is something that SNL sometimes rarely does. So I was happy about that, and I think it actually got pulled off in a very subtle shift that I think worked really well from a humor perspective. I would also put up one for, I think it was only a couple episodes after the Lin-Manuel Miranda one, uh, the Tom Hanks episode, I think had, you know, the uh, Tom Hanks hosting the final debate between the two candidates that I think went really well as well. But yeah, I think obviously in a, a big year for SNL on the political scene, the cold opens are really are where a lot of eyes are going to lie. And I don't think they ever desperately disappointed. I think there were some times as we spoke about when we're like, okay, I don't think we need to see Trump again. But overall, I'd say everything was at least pretty good. Yeah, no, I agree. I think they did a nice job. Uh, And then I think that this was a year that we had monologue-wise. You know, monologues are traditionally, I think, the hardest uh, art form of the show. They're the hardest to deliver on. And I think that as years go, this was actually a very good year for monologues overall. You know, Mm -hmm. very, very little that was, like, hilarious. But generally speaking, uh, most of it was fun, some really fun stuff. And looking at what, for me, was the best monologue of the year, uh, as much as... I think we had very strong stand-up comedy. Dave Chappelle, Louis C.K., Aziz Ansari, three great stand-up comedy performances that were really strong. Uh, I'm going to show my theater nerd cred and say that for me, there was nothing better than Lin-Manuel Miranda doing I'm Mm -hmm. Not Throwing Away My Shot as a a monologue piece running around the audience. For me, this was just so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll also put in, I'll throw in a couple of other names into the hat. I think that Jimmy Fallon and Melissa McCarthy both produced very, again, fun and not necessarily funny um, monologues. Granted, ironically, but enough, both of them went backstage, which I think is always a fun thing to do on SNL. And I think that I talked about this a few times in previous podcasts, but I do think the one thing that the monologues have going for them, especially in this season, are that they're different. You know, how many times have we gone to the audience for questions this season? Barely a handful. Barely how ever, ta- yeah. Yeah, how many times did, you know, a host that shouldn't have sung sing, with the exception of Chris Pine, barely any. So I'm happy that they're really deciding to not necessarily tack it on at the end as like, oh yeah, we'll just have this person sing. You know, it seems like they're at least trying for some diversification, which from an SNL nerd standpoint makes me very happy. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought that really great job. Uh, I think looking at game shows that, you know, it is the staple of SNL, which is insane to me. They've been doing it for so long. Game shows are actually coming back, although not in the way they do them. Uh, For me, clear winner this season that you just you you can't even come close uh tom hanks and black jeopardy uh with tom hanks as a trump voter was just hilarious it was so much fun everyone in it was funny the fact that uh you know that uh you know as a hanks as a as a a trump supporter hanks's character believes that the election's already decided he doesn't want to use the iphone thumbprint because that's how they get you uh skinny woman can't do a damn thing for you the fact the idea that a Trump voter and and the black contestants would be aligned on so many things was just really, really fun. Great by Trump. Everyone in it was great. And they wrap it up. The final Jeopardy uh, category was uh, lives that matter. And uh, Kenan Thompson's like, well, it was good while it lasted, Doug. Uh, just really, really fun. I think this was uh, one of the great sketches of the year. Clearly yeah. the best game show. 
such a well-written sketch. And it's interesting in that there's probably going to be another big sketch in the Tom Hanks episode that I'm sure we're going to be talking about that almost overshadows the rest of that episode, which I thought was sublime. One of the best episodes that I've seen since the Larry David episode last year. And this is another great indicator of being able to take an already set up structure in SNL and applying it to a current political climate. This clearly had a point of view. And I'll give another nod in terms of a game show sketch to the uh, Celebrity Family Feud Time Travel Edition just for that. Again, the pure spectacle of having Jimmy Fallon go back and forth as two John Travoltas was a a fantastic thing to see and a reason why this show works so well as a live show. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to move to commercial parodies real quick. Uh, you know, a shout out to Wells for Boys, which I think was really fun on the Emma Stone mm. episode. But for me, nice, simple, and quick was on the Scarlett Johansson episode was Complicit, the Ivanka Trump uh, mm-hmm. fragrance, which I thought was just very smart, very simple. It was visual. It was smart. Uh, it was not overdone, and they got out. It was clearly my favorite uh, commercial of the year. Uh, see, you have forgotten about the Totino's Pizza Rolls Cinema Verite with Kristen Stewart and I Vanessa like Bayer. I like that. That, that, yeah. that, that. that to me was my favorite. I did enjoy the Scarlett Johansson complicit, but for me, there was just something so fantastic, especially considering the canon of the Totino's Pizza, com- pizza commercials uh, with just what they brought to it and how we talked about on the Kristen Stewart podcast about the fact that she's not necessarily built for this type of show. They were able to utilize her skill set. I loved just the over-the-top things, the water, feeding each other Totinos, you know, speaking in French to each other, while also pairing this with the guys watching the football immediately in the room, like 10 feet from them, I think was such a well-produced and well-filmed sketch. So that gets my vote personally. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, you know, pre-tapes, I think there's so many good pre-tapes. I thought Jimmy Fallon's basketball scene was really funny. Yes. I loved in Casey Affleck, we had both the Dunkin' Donuts. That was very funny. And then we had the Hillary Actually uh, piece, which I thought was just brilliant with Hillary with the with the cue cards, which was just so great. But for me, this is going to be a weird call out. It was about 45 seconds. It was probably shot in uh, three minutes in the emily blunt episode yes 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 the sink yes i had had that on my list too it was just gm it's it was if you don't remember it was the it was a a very sort of overdone glass sort of a um shellfish style looking sort of a sink basin and we just hear the sink thinking to herself am i too much uh i'm an answer to a question that no one asked um i feel like zeus was christened in me it was just so simple and it just reminded me about the power of good writing this thing was Mm -hmm. shot for a dollar fifty and was probably shot in 20 minutes it probably took them longer to download the video off the card than it did to shoot this but because of genius writing and then you know smart narration uh just beautiful uh uh really really great stuff i thought it was uh very very funny I would argue that this was not a great year for the Brits 
on SNL between Emily True. Blunt, Felic- Felicity Jones, and Benedict Cumberbatch. I would argue this is probably the best sketch from a show helmed by a British person on this season, which again isn't saying much, but still, I love the sync as well. I'll throw out a couple of other names here. Uh, from the season premiere, the librarian sketch with Margot Robbie. Uh, I love how Ooh. they... they, they, mm, they I'm going to disagree with you on this one. Okay. Yeah, I know, I know that you weren't a big fan of it, but I, I, as, as weird as it was, I did enjoy turning on the convention of like, oh yeah, she's hot, but it turns out that like, I, I, I enjoyed the heightening of it. Uh, the five stars Uber uh, pre-taped with Aziz Ansari and Bobby, I thought was really great. The Pepsi commercial uh, filming yep. with Beck as the director during the Louis C.K. episode. But I'm going to probably give it, and this might be cheating, but basically any sketch, behind-the-scenes SNL sketch with Leslie and Kyle Mooney. Uh, there was one in the Dave Chappelle episode. I think there was the Leslie Wants to Play Trump sketch and the one from the Melissa McCarthy episode. I think it's just something that, like you just talked about with the sink, is very interestingly conceptual in that it's canonized, which is outside of like laser cats they didn't usually do with the pre-tapes. And it's just so well-performed by two performers that you would not necessarily associate as actors. So I give them all the kudos for that. Yeah, and you know it's funny. I was actually going to call out just sort of not as a category, but just the the idea of sort of them going behind the scenes of SNL uh, and these Leslie Kyle pieces. The idea of a reoccurring storyline, uh, you know, progressing throughout the season was wonderful. Uh, and I also want to just call out just because it's very genre busting for SNL. In the Dave Chappelle episode, we start with a very mediocre sketch called Jerry's Place, which goes south, yes. which then turns into Inside SNL, and it was just a great treating an SNL sketch like it was a sports game and uh, and very funny. Chappelle was funny. Everyone was in it was funny. And it was also just sort of a great shout out to sort of what you don't see uh, on SNL very often, which is that sort of self-referential kind of comedy. So that was great. Yeah. Um, best 10 to 1 sketch. I felt like we had a couple of, uh, a couple of winners here, uh, although not actually the last sketch of the night. A quick shout out to Pizza Town from the Z's and Zari oh, sketch. Boy. Which, uh, we didn't even talk about, but I, I thought that was very fun. Uh, but uh, for me, when you look at the actual last sketches of the night, I, I think the clear winner for me was going back not too far to the Louis C.K. episode with the Tenement Museum uh, tour, mm. uh, really talking about just a bunch of Italian jokes. Uh, but I thought very strong sketch for uh, 12.50 a.m. Yeah, and I'll throw another one in there. Again, it's not specifically 10 to 1, but I feel like the sectionals commercial from the Louis C.K. episode mm-hmm. very much reflects that 10 to 1 attitude. And I'm going to, I know you'll disagree, Rich, I'm going to throw out the Chris Pine couples game night, like really over-the-top Frasier the musical sketch. I know it's not a fan of yours, but I personally enjoyed it. Uh, but yeah, some really interesting 10 to 1 stuff. I mean, that's one of my favorite sections of the show. That was the section that Will Forte really had some interesting real estate in. Uh, so I'm happy to see that it has been utilizing some really fun sketches this season. Yeah, absolutely. So uh going to save sketch of the season for last because it's always the most fun to talk about. I think that to to discuss a uh, uh, show of the season, I can't imagine that Mike and I would disagree. Uh The Tom Hanks episode was just a beautiful piece of work. It was just yeah. uh, just the strongest thing I've seen in a long time. And just from, as you said, cold open to the very end, just just across the board, uh, one of the strongest season, uh, uh, episodes I've seen in a long time. A lot of good. You probably could talk better than I sort of what, what was the what did you have as the top three in, in your rankings? So the top three for me, and I had Dave Chappelle beating Tom Hanks for a while, but now that I sort of had the time to look back on everything, some things have shifted spots, and I found that 
I think Dave Chappelle was a perfect show to do right after the election where, you know, I think there was a lot of emotions running high one way or the other. And it was nice to sort of have Dave Chappelle kind of come in as this sort of salve and say, you know, like give his whole hard truth. And there was just so much significance in having this guy who literally flew the coop, escaped the country when he was at the peak of his fame so long ago to finally return back to the spotlight at this time was so interesting. And there were some really fun sketches in there. Uh, I'm sure we, I can talk about like an honorable mention. I'm sure for sketch of the year was, was the election night sketch with Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock, uh, Mm -hmm. which I really enjoyed. Uh, But the Tom Hanks episode, as you said, overall was just so freaking strong uh, I, i'm gonna see if i can uh, find the the list of sketches in this but yeah i would say that the top three for me were tom hanks dave Chappelle, and probably aziz ansari i know that you weren't a fan of a couple of the aziz ansari sketches but i do feel like there were a good amount of really solid sketches in there but i'd say overall looking at my list there really weren't a lot of overall duds i would say looking at my list I'd say that Benedict Cumberbatch, Felicity Jones, and maybe John Cena were overall, like, the bombs. There wasn't really anything salvageable from them. But then you have, like, even things like shows like Octavia Spencer, Emily Blunt, Kristen Wiig, Casey Affleck, Scarlett Johansson have these little nuggets in them that make them at least somewhat salvageable. Now that I stalled, I'm looking at these this lineup for the Tom Hanks episode. So we've got the... Well, we talked about before the cold open with the third debate, the monologue by Tom Hanks. He's America's dad. He's looking to, you know, say that everything's going to be okay. Black Jeopardy, we mentioned before. Uh, the Halloween block party show with the family of Melissa, Cecily, mm-hmm. and Tom Hanks putting on uh, Don't Stop Believing about Halloween. Um, the pre taped about the funny new comedy, uh, which is just entirely dramatic. Uh, there's a little sketch that nobody knows anything about called, called Haunted Elevator. We can skip over that. Um, uh, weekend Update uh, was always good. We have the Sully sketch which I think was a lot of fun with Alec Baldwin in there. The girls' Halloween sketch with the, you know, uh, Vanessa, Cecily, and AD doing the before and after during a horrible Halloween. And America's Funniest Pets, I know that was probably the, the uh boy of the mm. night for you, but but yeah. I but I really enjoyed it. And then the musical guest was Lady Gaga, who has totally, in terms of her career point, pivoted into this sort of new direction. Uh, we're talking about, like, scaling back big landmarks. She was very, very simple. Literally just her, a guitar, and a piano. So just such a strong show. Uh, and, you know, if we're sort of tracking the best episodes of the past few years, I would say we spoke about The Rock earlier. I think his 2015 show was the best se- the best episode of season 41. Larry David from, uh, or from season 40. Larry David from season 41. Tom Hanks for season 42. And let's see what happens with season 43. I totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, so uh, I'm going to jump around here. So let's talk about I wanted I was going to say uh, let's talk about MVP, but I'm actually going to sort of skip that and do that last. So sketch of the year, um, you know, first of all, there's choices, which is usually yes. there's just it's, you know, whatever um, I will say. And, and, and I, I probably would have put number four is the election night coverage, uh, which I thought was fantastic. I will say the sketch that for me was in the number three slot. I actually think if we look at all of these sketches 
in five years will be the one that holds up the best, even though it's somewhat topical. But I think the the thing that made me laugh the most, even though I'm putting it number three, was Aziz Ansari's La La Land interrogation sketch. Yes, that so was good. just such a beautiful. Now, if you don't know what La La Land is in ten years, it won't make a lot of sense. But this was uh, I I know I'm only putting it at number three, but it was really uh, just such a great piece of writing, such a great performance, and such a fun take on something that was, uh, you know, such a that no one had really said. They sort of broke that in the public consciousness of maybe La La Land is good, but not great. Nobody was saying that at that point. So uh, that I'm pegging that as number three. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that one as well. And again, it just speaks to how much the Aziz Ansari, even outside of the monologue, was a really solid show. Yeah. Uh, and then getting down to – I was really torn. I've got two sketches. I don't think anyone listening to this uh, can can not guess what the, the two for number one for me were. Uh, and picking number one was hard because, uh, because for me, the moment of the year as a fan of SNL, as we discussed on our podcast, is what I'm going to put as the number two sketch of the year, uh, which was the very first Sean Spicer press conference. Mm-hmm. Um no one knew it was coming. It was basically a cold open at midnight because the you know I think they hadn't expected that Alec Baldwin was going to be available. Uh, the sketch starts. Sean Spicer comes out, and there's a full line where the audience doesn't quite know that it's <laughs> Melissa McCarthy, and because it's you know it there hadn't been one, there was no sense of Mad Libs. So her screwing up the names, accidentally like reading a press announcement, a press announcement that's actually her email password, uh, using the dolls to explain uh, the concept and you know and explaining radical moose lambs uh, then suddenly the uh, the podium that she can pick up and attack somebody with it was just genius now in watching it again it's a little long it's a little fat uh, but in the moment of watching it it was so funny uh, it's just uh, it just just reminds me of how great SNL can be absolutely I mean this was you went into length about it the very first time. I think we were talking about it during the Kristen Stewart episode. It was sensational, and the surprise really comes at you. And yes, it's a little fatty, but that's because they just cram so much characterization in there, which they usually don't with SNL. I think it shows that they keep repeating this, trying to essentially, you know, recapture the magic. Uh, not that Melissa McCarthy has been doing anything bad, but you know, we keep going back to the prop well, for example, just because it worked so well the first time. And, you know, I think we put as a little like corollary to that number two and number two, a would probably be the Sean Spicer from Melissa McCarthy's hosted episode, where, as we talked about last time, they take this really interesting emotional turn where Sean Spicer says like, Oh, do you think Donald Trump really doesn't like me? And so you have him take a road trip to New York and you have the podium going through and it's the rare live to taped back to live. So like we talked about before, the Sean Spicer really, I think speaks a lot about like the second half of the year for SNL. Uh, And it was just, it's an amazing sketch to watch just from a pure comedic perspective, not even a political perspective. No, I agree. I definitely agree. Um, you know, and, and really great. And then, you know, sketch of the year. There's no surprise here. I will say uh, if you watch this sketch today, it will not make you laugh nearly as hard as it made you laugh uh, in October of this last year. But in the moment, seeing it the first time, not know where it's going and being the Beck Bennett in this sketch as it happened, there was just something magical. Magical, and the country came together around their love of David S. Pumpkins. I, I absolutely. I mean, 
I think it says something considering how much fervor came out around this character. And again, like this isn't even a politically affiliated character. It totally makes sense that, you know, in this politicized climate, people might have a reaction one way or the other to Donald Trump or Sean Spicer on SNL. But this is a completely random character. I can totally see where you're coming from and that it might not play, you know, the second, third time you watch it. But, you know, neither does Blue Oyster Cult behind the music. And that's another sketch that I feel like yep. from the from from its instantaneous debut is a classic. And I this is again maybe hyperbolic for me to say, I really do feel like Haunted Elevator with David S. Pumpkins is a classic sketch. And it makes sense because Tom Hanks just proves even however many times he's hosted and however whole old he is at this point, just how natural of an SNL host he is. Yeah, no, just great. And it was interesting reading an, an interview with Mikey Day this week, how he talked about that Tom Hanks the whole time, the whole week they were, uh, you know, w- working and revising. There was apparently a lot more lines uh, that got cut and how the whole week he was just uh, Tom Hanks kept saying to Mikey Day, like, I can't get my head around this guy. Like, he didn't quite know how to play him. He played him very differently in run throughs. He never quite sort of got his head around sort of how to deliver it. And then... It's game day. It's Saturday, 1130, you know, whatever it was, midnight when they do it. And he just delivers in such a way that was just so fun. I thought it was just really, really great. Yeah, so, so many yeah. absurd things about that. I mean, the, the skeletons as well. Like you said, I think it's Beck and who is it? Kate, I think, do a fantastic job as straight people in the sketch, too. It's just it's so well done. And it, it's it's. It makes me happy because, like, classic SNL to me, again, is not topical or politically affiliated stuff, even though there's extremely strong sketches that emanate in that. It's things like, you know, Justin Timberlake doing Omeletteville uh, or, you know, the or like, uh, you know, Eddie Murphy doing Mr. Rogers or uh, Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. It, it's these sketches that can really stand the test of time. And again, this might be me being over the top, but I do feel like a sketch like David S. Pumpkins is so freaking funny that it will stand the test of time. I, it'll be interesting to see. I, I wonder, uh, but uh, but but certainly great. I mean, it was just so much fun. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, and hey, how great is it that we have all these sort of pieces to pick from? Right. Um, yeah. So, so let's wrap up. Let's talk about MVP of the season. And uh, and I think what we have to say in order to to be fair to the cast members is uh, my one as you're as you're playing along at home, you are not allowed to pick Alec Baldwin because Alec Baldwin is not a cast member. He does not play by the same rules as a cast member uh i think that certainly you know in a way he was sort of the uh you know the secret uh to the sauce but i think if you take out alec baldwin uh this is an interesting year uh and i had an interesting pick i don't know if you had a chance to think about it mike do you do you have an mvp for yourself sure so my mvp is someone who i mean snl i think one of the main complaints but what i've always attributed is actually a highlight for this cast is that there's no singular standout I'm always a fan of more ensemble-based comedy, and it truly does feel like it this year, which makes it sad that, you know, a few people are now departing those ranks. But this person had a standout year in that they became the first SNL performer in quite some time to win a primetime Emmy Award for their performance. So my MVP is Kate McKinnon. I think that, you know, her portrayal of Hillary Clinton, 
uh, was really fantastic. I think we loved it from, you know, the 2015-2016 season where she was really building out this character of, like, someone who clearly does not know how to interact with people and trying to figure that out. And she was not just, like, a stock straight person like you might do with, like, a John Kerry or uh, or any of the other presidential candidates that exist in some election. But, you know, once Donald Trump ran, she still hit the ground running. She has played Kellyanne Conway. She has played Jeff Sessions. She has played so many random people throughout this season. Her update characters always kill. My new favorite character of hers is Debette Goldry, the uh, aging Hollywood starlet in those roundtables. I think she made maybe three appearances in this season, and it made me so happy every time. I mean, Kate McKinnon is such a strong performer, and I feel like this season is no different. Yeah, I think a great call. I went in a very different direction, although certainly you cannot argue. Uh, I think that this was, I think she's had stronger seasons. Uh, I think last season was maybe stronger for her. For me, I had a very different MVP because for me, and again, you're right, this all sort of falls under the uh, banner of it's an ensemble cast, it's an ensemble year. But for me, what I was really struck by is very few times in SNL history have I seen a cast member come on as a featured player in year one and play such a strong presence that they Mm. feel like they're one of the anchors of the show. I'm giving MVP to Mikey Day this year. I feel like I looked at, I said, who was the last featured player that in live sketches, not pre-tapes, but it like sort of, so I think, I think Andy Samberg, I think sort of uh, played an amazing role, but, uh, but in a very different way, I put him in, he and Kiva and Yorma, the writers, created the Lonely Island shorts, which became a thing in his first year. Um, you know, Will Farrell in his first year was amazing. He wasn't a featured player. He came on as a cast member in because they had uh, reshuffled the deck. So for me, the featured player in year one who had the same impact as far as screen time, number of episodes they get credit for, I'm going back to Mike Myers in 1989. Oh, wow. And I think that while there's not a lot of characters that Mikey Day did that we're already going to say in year one are Hall of Fame characters, I think that if you look at his trajectory in year one, I can't imagine where he's going to be in year five, year seven, year nine. Uh, I think, and even as I said, I, it, it occurred to me when he said one word in this episode, when he said snow cone, and it just cut through a lot of other more ex- ex- established SNL cast members who didn't get as big a laugh with more lines. And I thought, oh, this is the guy to watch. So uh, I, I'm, I'm really putting a lot of money on Mikey Day. I thought he had a great season, and I think mm-hmm. we're going to see, all, especially as we now pare down cast members and look to bring in more uh, continue to bring in more junior people i think he could play a really really strong role going into uh into season 43 coming into season 42 we saw taron killam have a sudden departure and i think you know i was a big taron killam fan and i think you and rob prognosticated you know who is going to fill that role as sort of like the the everyman looking person who's able to kind of be versatile. And I think Beck Bennett does a great job in that as well, though Beck has, again, kind of dug his own little hole for himself amidst the stuff that he does. And I don't know if you remember, Rich, but the very first live sketch outside of the cold open of season 42, one of the main characters in that sketch was played by Mikey Day. And I think that's, looking back, it's such an interesting indicator of how 
how big of an impact he would be. Now, now I don't think it's anything magnanimous. Obviously, people are not saying this is the Mikey Day season. But when you look about it, back at it and think about it, he's been involved in so much that you don't even expect, especially from a featured player. I think he benefited greatly from spending time in the writer's room in that he knows you got to write stuff to get on screen. And so, you know, we spoke about our sketch of the year, David S. Pumpkins, was by Mikey Day. And I, I think it just shows that once you sort of have your feet on the ground and you know what sells on the SNL stage, that's what you need to do. And so he's been able to really make a name for himself, really take the inside track. You know, he's already got a Trump character for himself in the form of, of Donald Trump Jr. He just has made so many different cameos here and there that I completely agree. I think he's definitely the breakout featured player of this season. I would totally expect him to be promoted to main cast. Oh, I, I my feel, God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I could totally expect it to happen. And I'm, I agree with you. I'm very excited to see from both a writing perspective and a performing perspective, because sometimes that doesn't happen. But Mikey Day, I believe he was on uh, the Mayan Marty variety show before this as well. He really is a versatile person. Now, I will parlay that into another question for you. Going to the featured players, we still have Alex Moffat. We have Melissa Villasenor. Any bold claims as to whether one or both of them will survive come season 43? Alec Moffat, no question, will survive. Uh, Melissa Villasenor, I like Melissa. I think that she's right now suffering from Jay Farrow syndrome, which is that she's very good at impressions, but she has not been able to be particularly uh, to find interesting characters within those impressions that become memorable beyond how eerily accurate they are. Uh, I would have said uh, I was in very, uh, very concern for Melissa's uh, job security going into this season. She could have been the John Rudnitsky of season 42, but I think that with two females leading and to be completely blatant, one minority female cast member leaving I think that they will absolutely give her another shot. I think she's got mm. one more year to find it, uh, and she's got to find it because she didn't have it this year. There, uh, I like her a lot. I think she's really good. But in just uh, just evaluating her from time on SNL, from SNL screen time, she did not bring it this year. So, uh, mm. and that, and and I'm saying that as someone who has seen her live at the Comedy Store and knows that she can bring it, uh, but we haven't seen it yet. Why is that? I don't know. But we need to. See it that we we're going to need to see it next year. Yeah, uh, you bring yeah. up you bring up a great point in that. Yeah, I mean, I think had we have three big people not depart, and I mean big people in that you know their tenure. I think unfortunately, Sashir Zameda, if I may eulogize her for a second here, I think she's a great performer. I love seeing her on UCB Herald Night and watching her with the Bucky, one of the house teams. But I just think it's one of those cases like your Jenny Slates, like your Casey Wilsons, even going back to. Like Robert Downey Jr., one of the biggest movie stars in the world nowadays, where sometimes good comedians, good performers just don't fit with the SNL setting. And I think, you know, it is, it's been very precipitous. It's interesting that, like, every year I feel like you and Rob kept saying, oh, yeah, Sashir's not coming back. Sashir's not coming back. And she did, but now she is finally leaving. I say kudos to her for, you know, being as prominent as she was. To me, it's clear that it was not a fit. But speaking outside of that, you know, having three people leave at once, I just, uh, it does, does I think, from a production perspective, kind of constrain your limits a bit to say, like, okay, we can't really get rid of people in one fell swoop. We're not going to do a, a 1985 fire anymore burning and keeping John Lovitz. Uh, so I think that there, you're right. There is a chance that Melissa gets kept on just because they want to make sure that they're not just bringing on too many people in one batch. 
Yeah, and uh, just to quickly touch on Sashir, just to go back, I, you know, I do think that I, you know, again, I've been, you know, we have to call it like we see it. I think Shashir is uh, seems very sweet. I don't think that it, I think she got a lot more screen time this season. I don't think we saw her do something that was so strong that any of us are like, oh, that's why she's here. That said, I think what I took away from watching her this season is I think Sashir is going to be a very strong sitcom actress in a single camera mm. comedy where she can play what I think she does better, which is more personal, more real, more closer to a fully formed human being than a caricature. I don't think she's as good as caricatures. So I think that as you know, when she goes on to become very famous, uh, I don't want uh, you know our community saying, oh, rich boy, you called that wrong. Shashir was actually really talented and you didn't think as a no. I think she was on the wrong seat on the bus and I think that there's a right seat on the bus coming for her. Um, yeah. And then sort of tying into what you were saying last, sort of you know on the wrap-up of you know i love vanessa and of course i love bobby and i and i like sashir but as i said in one of my rants just a few episodes ago this is not a bad thing for the show because the show always comes first and as i said a few weeks ago the show has a star problem and uh, vanessa was never going to become once we determined vanessa bobby and shashir were three great people who had not become the star and were not going to become the star next season. So for them to decide to leave or it recommended that they leave, whatever actually happened, I think was good for the show because the show needs to create room for more potential stars. So mm-hmm. this gives us three spots. Now we had 16 cast members, so we, we got a big cast. Uh, if we bring in three new people, it'll, but I, I think that that's what the show needs to do. I think we need to bring in three new people uh, to see... Uh, continue. You've got a lot of great utility players, a lot of reliable people, a lot of great characters, but we need that star to really get. And it can't be Alec Baldwin. It can't be Melissa McCarthy. It can't be Larry David. It's got to be one of our own. It's got to be someone who grows from within, not a celebrity coming to do a cameo. And it's interesting looking back a year from now that over the course of this past 365 days, we have lost Taryn Killam, Jay Farrow, Bobby Moynihan, Vanessa Bayer, and Sashir Zameda, who I all feel like, maybe Sashir being the exception, but they've all pretty much been around since, what, the early 2010s? And now looking at the cast that we currently have, uh, aside from Keenan, who, much like, you know, Mr. Belding, seems like will always be there (laughs) from now on, the earliest tenured cast members are 80... Kate and Cecily, who all joined in 2012. So now we have to wonder, especially, you know, the five years are coming up uh, for those guys. You know, will they start looking at greener pastures? I know Kate McKinnon, for example, has become a pretty, you know, she's been in a good amount of movies. She's about to be in the Scarlett Johansson film. So, and she's an Emmy winner. So she can clearly see greener pastures. Cecily has done the, the freaking white house press association dinner uh, a couple of years ago. So she has inroads as well. Eighties, a very talented actress as well. So this might be the next group that we're looking to, to start to want to stretch their wings and, we saw this from Bobby this year that, as you said in the beginning, he started. we started to see him kind of scale back or participate in less. I don't know if that was him filming his sitcom or whether it was him you know, just deciding to sort of start pulling away from the havoc that SNL wreaks. If they start to do that uh, with these three in particular, maybe it's a sign that these three are looking to move on as well in season 43. 
I think that's a really good chance. I think I was surprised. I think Cecily, I'm surprised Cecily didn't choose to move on at this point. And I'm not, I don't want her to go. I hope that she's back, but it, I'm sort of surprised that uh, her and 80 didn't choose to sort of decide to sort of move on at this point. Now, again, we don't know who else is going to leave. You know, we often, you know, it was uh, yeah. Jason Sudeikis famously left over the summer. There is a very good chance, by the way, behind the scenes, we may lose two very important people on the show. Uh, co-head writers, uh, Oh, those three, uh, but two of the co-head writers, Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider, uh, may very well leave to go do a show at Comedy Central, uh, having done a pilot that apparently went well. If we lose them, you know, they were the uh, do it on the twin bed writers. Uh, we could lose uh, some real power in the writing room as well as on camera. So could be a very big uh, sort of rebuilding year in in, uh, in 2017 when we come back in October. And we will return. Uh, and I just want to take this time as well to, you know, thank you, Rich, for not only, you know, coming back show after show, season after season to do this, but also, you know, sort of tracking. It was a little bit of a tumultuous year for this podcast as well. I know you and Rob continue to cover episodically, but at the end, due to a varying amount of ex- uh, extenuating circumstances, you decided to stop that coverage. And I was so happy that we were able to engage in a conversation saying, you know, we both still want to do this. We've been able to translate that into, uh, you know, monthly podcasts. I want to thank your wife, Jen, for coming on for those first couple as well. That was a lot of fun. I mean, SNL is always going to be in my top 10 favorite TV shows of all time, just because I'm such a comedy nerd that I froth at the mouth of getting to just talk about these things. And I couldn't think of a better person to nerd about nerd out about the show than you. So thank you for always coming on and giving your two cents one way or the other about each and every sketch this season. No, and I, I thank you for sure jumping in midway through. Uh, it, you know, it looked like we were going to be done. Thank you, of course, to our our uh, our brother from another mother, Rob Sesternino, who lives with yeah. us in spirit. Uh, but yeah, you know, Mike, you you jumped in, and I really appreciate you stepping in and and having this fun with me. It's always in a way, it's it's not an SNL if we don't get to talk about it afterwards. <laughs> exactly. So if you want to talk to us about SNL, whether about this episode, this season, or who knows, you know, if the when the weekend update spinoff starts in, in August, if you want to talk to us about that as well, you can reach out to us on social media. Rich is at Rich Tack, and I am at a Mike Bloom type. So yeah, we, we, we always want to talk to you guys about anything regarding SNL. We're just that big nerds. But I look forward to coming back in uh, probably September to cover season 43 with you, Rich. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank everyone for being with us. And, uh, you know, let's all have a great summer and let's all return in uh, in the fall to uh, kick off a new season. That's it, guys. We're out of here. Thanks so much. 